Step one for me to get started <laughs> would be hit up some other people in the Phoenix area and be like, yeah. guys, what should I do? Exactly. Step two, think about how that affects the rest of your life. Um, you know, there's... So you're saying I, I you might want to ask my wife for- about it first. <laughs> I would... Yeah, I think actually step one might be talk to your wife. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing this down. Got it. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. Hey everyone, two quick notes before we get started. One is that this episode, like the one the other day, is definitely adults only, so no children allowed to listen to this one. The other announcement is uh, that when it rains, it seems to pour, and sometime in the next month or so, I am going to be interviewing a woman by the name of Amy Baldwin, who is a sex and relationship coach and a certified sex educator. So she works with couples and also um, just does like large-scale teaching events um, at a sex shop in Santa Cruz well, where they will, let's say, do a class on blowjobs or a class on um, how to, like, things from a man's point of view, things from a woman's point of view, things from everyone's point of view to try to please people or to get to know your body better or whatever it is. So anyways, um, I wanted to reach out to you guys, the audience, and get questions from you to ask Amy for that episode. So we are going to be doing a two-part episode with Amy, just like how we did a two-part episode here. But Amy, Amy's is going to be more of a, um, yeah, like sex coach, sex educator type of thing. So if you have any sort of sex related questions that you would like to ask, um, we are going to do episode one for women and episode two for men. So let's get as many questions sent in as we can. If there is anything at all on your mind that you've maybe been like too embarrassed to ask, feel free to send me an email. You don't have to put your name on it or anything. And, um, and I will go ahead and ask Amy that question for you. So um, my email address is Blake at half hourintern.com or you can go to the website and submit your question through there and uh, that episode should be coming out in the next month or so Um, but for now we are going to hear about sex shows and all kinds of other awesome stuff in part two of sex worker all right maxine let's say tomorrow i decide that i want to be a sex worker i decide that i want to do some private work what would my first steps be in doing private work and how, I guess, would this be different if I were a man versus a woman? Ooh, well, I think it's a lot harder for male escorts than it is for female escorts. There isn't quite the same market. Um, there's a bigger market for gay male escorts, but this idea of a male gigolo um, unfortunately isn't as popular as I think a lot of men would hope it would be. Yeah, for sure. Um, Though I think that, I don't know, like I think theoretically that would be great for like women who wanted uh, to seek professional sexual services. I think from a man, I think that would theoretically is like a great um, option for satisfying your sexual needs and whatnot, but there are not as many uh, job openings (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. Like, if, if, if someone was like, that's exactly what I want to do, I would recommend them 
really going and talking to people that are actually doing it and talking to the people that are in your area because working in the Bay Area is really different than it is working in, um, you know, a small rural town or in Manhattan. So like every time I travel for work, like I, when I work in New Orleans, I contacted a couple providers there. I'm like, okay, like I took a temperature, like what's it like working here? And is your screening process the same way as I do my screening process here? And, um, what, what rates do you, um, charge? So things like that are really helpful in first steps, whether you're traveling for work or maybe just starting. I think it's really important to have those types of conversations with people that are doing that type of job. That's such a good idea. I didn't even think about that at all. That's a great. So step one for me to get started (laughs) would be hit up some other people in the Phoenix area and be like, guys, what should I do? Exactly. Step two, think about how that affects the rest of your life. Um, you know, there's. So you're saying I, you I might know, want to ask my wife about it first. <laughs> I would. I think actually, step one might be talk to your wife. Okay, about it <laughs> I'm writing this down. Got it. <laughs> um, and then you know, think about how that's going to affect the rest of your life. Uh, there, you know, sex work is a wonderful, amazing job, but it has some real um, ramifications for the rest of your life. It affects your relationships. It affects who and how you're dating. Um, it can affect your family, like who knows, who doesn't know, uh, it can affect future employment opportunities and options. Uh, there's lots of ways that being a sex worker has enhanced my life, but there's definitely things that, um, it's affected in less optimal ways like that. The stigma that's attached to it is real. So before we go a little bit more into the stigma, like society wise, I would love to talk mm-hmm. about the stigma on the dating end since you just brought up dating. Um, yeah. I have always kind of felt bad for, and I, the only thing that I've ever thought about is like strippers and stuff. And I got to imagine it's just that much worse if you have done porn or, you know, are other, you know, into other forms of sex work. Um, where you more like directly have sex and it's not just stripping. But I've always thought like, all right, if you're a stripper and you start dating a guy that knows that you're a stripper, is this guy now going to expect a lot more from you because you're a stripper, expect a lot more from you sexually because you're a stripper. And have you experienced anything strange in your, if you're okay with talking about this, have you experienced anything strange in your dating life over the past however many years where somebody finds out, um, you know, you start talking and they know that you are involved in sex work. And then it's like, they expect like a certain level of almost like performance from you or something in the bedroom. Yeah. Well, I mean, if someone does that to a stripper or another sex worker, I just want to start off by saying that they're a total asshole. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Asshole problems. That's what I'm saying. We got these assholes, which is all rooted in, you know, misogyny and double standards and, not giving women space to be sexual beings and you know all those fun things but um yeah dating ha- i mean being a sex worker has changed the way that i date people um i like when i first started doing sex work i was dating more people that were not sex workers themselves and 
like, you know, the first or second date always felt like a lot of work because it's a lot of explaining and a lot of me assessing. I'm like, are you interested in me as a person or do you think it's really exciting that I have done porn or you just want to, or do you expect like this wild, crazy sex life because of the job that I have? Um, it's so interesting. I didn't really consider the fact that it's hard both ways that like, a you're nervous because you have to have this conversation and it's like, you don't want them to a be scared off from that. Like, let's say they're a little bit more conservative than you are, whatever it is that like, okay, well, this person's really nice. So I don't want them to be almost like frightened of the fact that this is what I do. Um, and then B, you also have to worry about on the other end that, like you said, that like if as opposed to frightened, they almost get too excited and they're just immediately like, mm-hmm. oh, let's just have like a threesome right now then or, you know, something, you know, just really yeah. outside the lines. Which so, yeah, there's this like a lot of sussing out. And then if I feel like I'm like having to do too much explaining, like that ruins the date. Like I'm not here to like educate you on everything that it means to be dating a sex worker and and there's definitely a learning curve. It's not something that everyone does. So I, you know, you kind of, and sometimes like give someone a little bit of a grace period to catch up and catch on and not say the typical douchebag things that people say to sex workers and not have these assumptions. Um, but yeah, as years have gone by, I am less inclined to, I had been less inclined to date people that weren't. Um, either a sex worker themselves or had some previous experience dating other sex workers or had friends that were in the sex industry just because like given the 101 of what my life is like like every first date is um not it's not hot I don't know (laughs) it's hard to connect in the right way Yeah. yeah and like my needs as my dating needs have changed. Like I absolutely need to be dating someone that has like a really advanced understanding of what, um, like the politics of sex work and how me being a sex worker affects all aspects of my life. And, um, like I need my partner to be like a really super solid ally and to really get it. And, you know, I've tried on a lot of partners over the past couple of years and like I've had some people really try. Like I had a partner where my work was really hard for them, even though they like maybe understood it and understood sex work. Like the actual concept of me having sex with other people for mon- money was just at the end of the day hard for them to feel okay about. Totally. Um, and that's really hard because, you know, you're already in a relationship with that person and you love and care about them. But if someone really loves and cares about me, then they also love and care about my job because it's such a big part of my life. A, it's my livelihood. It's how I support myself. But I also really love and care about my work. Yeah, you're so, also like an activist in the scene. So it's something that you care about on this like mental and emotional level as well. Yeah, Totally. So then in the wait in, in the past few years I've mostly dated um other sex workers and or people that are like really um like g- just really get it and are good allies and right Man. now my partner is amazing and he is one of my biggest allies and 
biggest supporters and he, you know he's in the sex industry as well and we do sex work together we've seen clients together we put on amazing sex performance shows together so I feel pretty um, appreciative of that type of support yeah that's amazing he must be really amazing because you're really amazing and, and you're so unique um, I feel like it's got to be difficult to find someone that checks the boxes that you, like I I fully understand all of the boxes that you need to have checked and it makes sense that you need to have all those boxes checked, but there's not mm-hmm. a lot of people that would be able to check all those boxes. That's so, so difficult. Um, yeah. It's an interesting way to move around the world. You're like, Oh, like, you know, you meet someone on an airplane and, um, like you, you're just like, Oh, you're an intelligent, smart human, but like you would never date me because of what I do. Right. Like there's, there's a sadness to that like that type of like prejudice um and you know kind of goes back to people not fully understanding but well there's a piece of it that's prejudice but then there's a piece of it that's also like you said about the one relationship that you were in of just like being real with yourself jealousy wise and stuff like that so even if you were able to connect that if someone's themselves is not in the sex industry and then i feel like even if they were in the sex industry there's got to be this big um kind of like self-emotional come to Jesus meeting. It's like, okay, we I am going to fully separate these things in my mind. And not only do I separate these things in my mind for myself, but I separate these things in my mind for my partner. And I mm-hmm. and when I can I can see my partner having sex with another person and and not get jealous with that. I feel like yeah. you are Well, I think the key is is like it's it's not that I don't get jealous or Okay. Yeah. I would love to talk about this more. Yeah. It's about managing your jealousy and with work for for me with work stuff, it's a lot easier for me to manage jealousy because I really have such a strong understanding that sex work is work. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's been things where I've been a little jealous about my partner performing with someone, but it's about how you manage that and how you break that down and understand it. Um, we're not, we're not monogamous. So I think that has given us some good tools on how to manage jealousy and expectations and communicate through that. But it's not this idea that like we don't experience jealousy or that's erased because of our jobs. Um, I think we just have like a different you manage it very well. skill set of how to manage jealousy and know when it's know what where it's coming from that's interesting that you're not monogamous i man i could do like an entire interview about that but i yeah uh, <laughs> that's uh i mean that makes a lot of sense because i, I or I, I feel like that's good because it's like it gives you a daily practice in in kind of non-jealousy it, it's like it's not like you're just practicing this this um managing your jealousy when you're seeing him in scenes and stuff like that it's like you're practicing managing your jealousy like all the time so it's not it's not such like a red alert um the times that it does come up yeah and with work stuff it's a lot easier to manage you're just like oh yeah that's work yeah i bet i got to imagine that it's like so much worse when the person is really good looking like i feel like (laughs) i feel like the level of jealousy would just be like through the roof if like you looked at the other person and you thought that they were like better looking than you are you know and it's just like shit ah like why (laughs) do you have to be that good looking what are you doing kind of jealousy where it's like oh i wish i was having sex with that person (laughs) not necessarily like i'm stoked that you are getting to have sex with that's amazing i'm just jealous that i'm 
not there. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah, so it's interesting thinking about all of the, again, like I guess how special the relationship that you have is and in all of these um, prerequisites that you have and boxes that you need checked and how a an easy way to check these boxes or, or at least some of them is is if the person is in sex work already because then it's like okay at least i'm not going to have to explain all these things to you and at least i know that there is this amount of things that you already understand and we could come to talk to each other on a level of of equals more or less um that being said something that i imagine is is also has also got to be kind of a difficult thing for you is that people are into different things for different reasons. And I got to imagine that happens way more so in sex work than it does in other lines of work, um, or at least manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Like uh, I, an analogy, I guess, to what I'm thinking of is like, if you were a football player, like in the NFL or something, um, let's say you're on defense and you just love being super athletic and you love like tackling people and you love hitting people. And this is the number one thing that you care about in your job. And this is the number one reason that you're in the NFL. And this is kind of the way that you feel like most people in the NFL must be. And you're this way. And this is the things that you care about. And then meanwhile, you have like a quarterback on the other side who the main thing that they care about and the main reason that they enjoy football is the cerebral piece of it. And they love viewing the game as like a chess match almost, you know, and they love before the ball is even snapped, just like looking at the defense and trying to analyze what's going to happen. And the athletic piece takes a complete backseat to the mental piece for them. So mm -hmm. like that's an example in football where these people are very actually disconnected in the ways of like why they are doing this thing and the thing that they are getting out of this thing. And yet they both do it together. Um, I imagine there's got to be a lot of that in sex work where especially maybe on the male side, there's a lot of men that are just like, I just want to fuck. And then I'm sure that there's also women that are just like, look, I just really want to fuck like that's it. And then there are people like you, and we'll get into a little bit more after this, finally, um, all of the different um, kind of like activism work that you do and stuff like that. But that are kind of like looking at this from a little bit higher of a level level, or like uh, look at different areas of sex and, and think about it more cerebrally maybe um, than someone who's just like a quote unquote performer. Um, so is it do, do you ever feel weird it, like i guess just in your interactions with other people in porn or other people in sex work when it's like they are they're into this thing for such a different reason than you are and maybe like they feel like they feel like you and them are like fully connected and like oh you know us like we just love banging so much and it's like well yeah like i do like having sex but that's not there's like a lot more to it than that for me i mean i think that there's just like so many different reasons that there's so many different reasons that people enter the industry and motivations behind it. And when it's a job, like a lot of those motivations are financially uh, are financial incentives. Um, but like at the end of the day, like when you're shooting, well, first of all, so like what, my client-based work is really individual. Like I don't really work with other providers unless I'm doing a double. Like my interaction is mostly with clients. Um, but when shooting porn, um, whether, I mean, I don't know, like I just don't find it that, that it's that different no matter like 
what's bringing someone to set, whether it's just like that they, I mean, it's, it's never just like, Oh, I'm here because I like having sex. Like that's just kind of like not a thing that happens. Like you're there because you're good at your job and you got hired and like, we're all good at sex. Like that is why we're there to some degree. Um, whether someone is like, you know, also on their spare time writing a dissertation about how the connection between pornography and contemporary film and the other person is like there to get their rent paid. Like that, that difference doesn't matter as much. Like, like people are there because they're doing their job and they're doing it well. And it all just seems to like mesh well. And everyone for the most part gets along pretty well on set and while they're working. Yeah. That's a very good point. I guess just, just because you have um, this other like edu- like sex-, sex education piece of your life and these other um, interests in the sex world um, doesn't mean that you're thinking about those things when you're on like a porn set or anything or that they're like all encompassing and that you just like can't get rid of them. Yeah, totally. And it doesn't mean that the people that aren't, um, you know, writing about that or doing certain types of activism aren't really well versed in that because it's their life. So people just, you know, have a really, people have a lot of, you know, people in the porn industry come from a really diverse amount of backgrounds. And um, we all have this like one thing in common and a lot of us are really different, but we have this very interesting commonality that we're all sex workers, but um, yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't seem to like um, clash or cause any problems. Um, doesn't mean, I mean, there are, there's definitely like this, like we call it the hierarchy where there are performers that think they're like, well, I don't, I'm not a prostitute, so that's better. Or I'm, I don't do this kind of scene, so I'm better. So there's, there's definitely like some bullshit hierarchy stuff that happens, but, um, yeah. It's so funny that as people, we feel this need to do that in absolutely anything that we do, you know, like such like one upsmanship, like any, any little way that you can feel better about you or different about yourself. Like, Oh, this is how I'm different from everyone else. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. And and I think people, I mean, it is a stigmatized community. So sometimes there is that need to kind of like, but I do this too. And da, 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 because you are right. Like, I mean, I, I recognize myself doing that sometimes like at cocktail parties where they're like, oh, you're a sex worker, you're a porn performer, and I feel the need to like chime in and be like, well, I just finished my master's right. career. <laughs> Immediately so, say something really smart afterwards. Thing. Yeah, which is it? That doesn't help anyone really. Like pr- having to like prove um, something, but yeah, I mean, but I'll, at the same time, it kind of makes sense because I also belong to a group of people that is that are really misunderstood and often looked down upon. Um, but I think that it's important as sex workers to like never um, try to build yourself up off of someone else. And if you really do care about justice for sex workers, you really got to care about justice for all sex workers. And regardless of why they're there or how they got there, that you really need to not 
focus on these like hierarchies or these respectability politics. Well, well my job's okay because I went to co- I did it to pay for college or some valid like some validation like that. Like, yeah, that's um, such I think a great that's point. Really, really problematic and um, just brings the whole community and the whole industry down. Yeah, that's a really great point. And that obviously can be extrapolated out to so many other things in life. Um, and, you know, not just this example. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that party example that you gave, because it's something I wanted to talk about in general, um, which is, I guess, so we've already talked about the possible disconnect between yourself and other sex workers. And it seems like there isn't really much of one there. Is there any sort of disconnect that you feel um, in how other people view your work and what you do, um, like people completely outside of the industry, um, and then how you view it and how I guess it actually is. And like, like you said, like at a party, almost trying to, um, talk about your activism more or this more because it's like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not just some sex worker. You know, it's like you basically are already assuming that they're going to kind of not get it, you know, like that they're um, going to be looking at you in some weird way. Um, so I guess talk about that disconnect that you feel with how people view you versus how you view yourself. Yeah. Like I really view my job, like a job. I consider myself a businesswoman, and I run like anywhere between two and five small businesses at a time. Um, and like a majority of my work is at home on the computer during the day. There's a lot of digital labor that goes into running all of my, um, businesses, but yeah, it is, it is interesting. Like thinking about how, um, much explaining to other people needs to happen. Like, unless you like listen to this podcast or like have known me for a long time, it's really hard to summarize what I do in a conversation, um, in a passing conversation or when I first meet someone. So yeah, it puts me in a weird position where I sometimes feel the need to like over explain or overcompensate. But lately I've been kind of like pushing against that and not, and trying to not, over explain or overcompensate like sometimes like sometimes I'll be like I do a, like when someone asks me what I do I'll be like I do a lot of things and I start listing them all like including the activism and sexual health education and teaching that I do but sometimes I'm just like I'm a sex worker and I leave it at that and it's not always my I don't always have the energy to explain everything to anyone like it's a very tiring position to be in and you know if it's someone that is close to me or I need to invest the time into letting them know what my life is like. And that feels important. But, um, as of late, it's kind of just, I kind of feel over that activity. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, you're in such a different position as well. Um, it's like, I just thinking like, if you feel that way, how must other people feel? Because if you feel that way and you live in the San Francisco Bay area, then how does someone who's involved in sex work that lives in Tennessee feel or whatever, you know, or, or literally basically anywhere Absolutely. else besides yeah. the San Francisco Bay I mean, area? Like, out. like I've, I'm really privileged in, a, in the way that I am able to be out. And, um, most of my family knows what I do and most of my friends do, but a lot of people, do sex work and not a lot of people in their life know about it and it's a secret and I could imagine that being really hard and 
not having a lot of community and things like that. What is it like with your family? Do they know what you do? Are you open with that? Like, I mean, I guess, is it what is it almost like this? Uh, they know in very broad strokes what you do, but they per, everyone would kind of prefer not talk about it because it's like, well, you're my sister and you're my daughter. So I'd <laughs> rather like not talk about that. Yeah, it is interesting because while it's like such a I come at it from such a business mind, um, it can be hard to talk to with family members because it does involve, you know, my you body sex. Yeah. sexual acts <laughs> the same uh, way that you probably don't want your dad talking to you about him having sex it's like exactly. it's just like all right we just won't talk about it so different family members i have different strategies and different levels of things that i disclose um and that seems to work pretty well like i don't like to get too specific but you know there's times where like like you know i'm kind of like thriving and kicking ass at my job and you want to like if I was doing any other other type of work, I would be really excited to like call home and report about like this, you know, AVN award or this uh, like sex show that went really, really well. And there's a different level of like appreciation and excitement, which can sometimes feel strange where it's like, I worked really hard, but like you don't get the same, um, like notoriety from family members. Yeah. as Maybe if I had just like, I don't know. What do other people do? Sold a house or closed a deal on Wall Street. I don't know. Whatever yeah, other Especially are. <laughs> when you're winning awards and stuff. Yeah. Are you more open with the women in your family than you are with the men? Um, it's actually a pretty good mix. Um, my, my dad and I are able to actually talk about my work pretty openly. Um, my mom knows about most everything. Um, she's had a little bit of a harder time with it. Um, both my siblings know, but I, I try not to get too specific with them. But so I feel really lucky. Actually, I have a lot of support from my family um, and that feels nice, but that's not always the case. That's, yeah. I'd say more on the rare side. Yeah, for sure. I could only, it's funny. Like I don't have a brother. I only have a sister and you have a sister and a brother, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So it's like, I only have a sister and I if my sister was involved in sex work, I would just absolutely never want to hear about it like ever. It would, I would, it would make me want to like <laughs> shove needles into my ears. Like I just, it would make me want to like rip my hair out. And, but I feel like if I had a brother that it would be like, Oh yeah, you can tell me about that. It's all good. Yeah. Um, it's weird. That sort of double standard. Like I can only imagine yeah. what it's like for your brother. Like, I feel like it would be really hard to hear about your sister, like <laughs> having sex with people. Yeah, gender's weird. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. So Maxine, why don't we finish up talking about the different sort of stuff that you like, quote unquote, do for a, a living more or less. And then we will talk about um, some of the active, like activism stuff that you do, the different like education side of your work and uh, and all of that kind of stuff. But first, please tell us about sex shows and what those are like in the Bay Area, like the, in these push parties that you put on and stuff like that. I went to one sex show while I was in Amsterdam and it was basically <laughs> just people having sex on stage. There was no, <laughs> there was no like real show part of it. Or I mean, I guess that was the show, you know, but there was no, um, like talking. It was just like walk in and we're banging and like, that's it. So <laughs> I, the fact that yours are called the push parties and like from checking out the website and stuff, it seems much more like fun and like a show. Um, tell us about the shows and kind of the idea behind it and how it all got started. 
Yeah. So uh, the first live sex show I did was um, an event called Come and Glitter, a live sex show. Um, That's a great I, name. Yeah, it, re- it really is. <laughs> um, so a colleague of mine and dear friend of mine, Ava Solanus, we got together and um, as all good ideas stem from things like drinking whiskey in a hot tub, we were drinking whiskey in a hot tub yes. and started talking about how as performers, we really just wish there was some other avenues to showcase our talents. And we came up with this idea of this live sex show that really spoke to the history of Bay area sex culture. Like, you know, Bay area sex culture has a long history of like being of public sex and all the glitter and the dirt that makes San Francisco and Oakland such a special place. Um, we really started thinking about that legacy and how as sex workers, how we wanted to continue creating like dirty, gritty, underground, performative, sexy things um, in our town. So we put together a lovely show called Come and Glitter. And it's kind of like porn meets theater meets burlesque meets something you've never even heard of. Um, (laughs) And we, we, we made it really like this thing where... I mean, there's so many talented sex workers in our community that we got together and talked about, like, if we were going to, if we could do any type of performance that we wanted to, what would that look like? And gave people a stage to make those performances come to life. And they came out really um, funny. They came out really sexy. They came out really dark. Like there was a lot of really exciting places that they went. Um, so people we, were allowed to come up with their own years. thing. It wasn't like, this is what you got to do. It's like, we're open to ideas. What, what you want to do, we will kind of let you do. Yeah. I mean, often in porn, you, um, are hired for a scene that the director has come up with and you're following direction. And that's, you know, that's great. But, um, it is also really exciting to be able to come up with your own scenes and um, kind of have no limits on how this is being packaged into a DVD, but this is like a performance um, on stage in front of, you know, an audience of a hundred to 200 people and to play, you know, live performances really play off the audience and get that energy from the audience's reactions. So uh, Where were you able to do this? And, and is there any like permitting involved or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so Come and Glitter, as well as the Push Parties, those are considered private events. So you're not, we didn't exactly sell tickets to a show. We sold memberships to a club, basically. So once you were a member of Come and Glitter, then you would re- receive a special invite to a private party. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, because yeah, there, there's, you know, there's not the, most of the laws pertain to having nudity and, um, alcohol in the same building. Like in California, um, strip clubs do not have alcohol if they're full nudity. And if they do have alcohol, then they are not full nudity. So those were kind of, I've always found that so funny. It's like so (laughs) insane that you're allowed to see boobies and have a drink, but if there's a vagina involved, you can't have a drink anymore. I don't know what they think will happen, but you know, those, that, that string (laughs) (laughs) stops all the mayhem from happening. Yeah. 
um, but yeah, so that's how that started. Um, those went, those were, went really, really well. Um, so let me we, ask you a couple of questions about that, Maxine. Yeah. So, um, in, in a second, we'll talk about the push parties now. So kind of the evolution of this whole thing and, and how it's changed. But so originally when you were doing the come and glitter shows, um, it's really awesome that you allow people to have like artistic expression and kind of do what sort of thing they wanted to do. If somebody came to you though, and, and maybe did this happen, if somebody's just like, Hey, so I just want to go up and I'm just going to like masturbate for a half hour or something. Is it like, come on, man, like let's spice it up a little bit. Like let's do something more exciting. Or did you not really have to worry about that because everyone is like so excited to get to try to do something new and interesting? Yeah, that wasn't too much of an issue. Um, you know, we cast these things really deliberately. Um, we were looking for people that had some type of performative theater experience or interest. Um, and we're very clear from the beginning, like this wasn't just like a very like casual thing, like, oh, we pick you, you, you. And like now everyone get together and make a show. We had a casting call that really described what these performances were. Um, we're going to be like what we were looking for, um, that this was really something uh, different than other performances they have done. So people were well versed in what they were getting into. And we were just amazed by people's ideas and um, how creative and how much thought and detail went into each performance would you mind telling us about maybe a like one or two of the ones that like really stick out in your mind is like wow that was so interesting or cool that someone thought of that yeah um one that was really interesting was kind of played on these religious themes where um it was a performance with three different people and there was a a girl going to church and there was a dirty priest and um she was praying for redemption and her big sister or, or no her older sister drug her to church to um absolve her sins and that turned into a very um religiously themed back and forth between the priest and the sister and <laughs> yeah I bet. it wasn't it wasn't just her actually going to confession the whole time <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean the whole thing took place in a quote-unquote church yeah um, that that definitely stuck out in my mind um um uh beretta james did this really amazing performance when she was dressed up like a mechanic and she, you know it looked like she was in a a garage and she had um a fucking machine on stage and so she did this amazing like mechanic strip tease like out of the you know the the jumper type thing um down to i think she was just wearing engine grease by the end of it and was was using this engine like fucking machine and that was that was very memorable to see like she just did a great job of that's great did she do any actual work on the machine like beforehand was that part oh, yeah. of the role play like she had to like fix up the machine making sure that all the pistons were pumping like <laughs> yeah that's great i love it um all right let's talk about the push parties now then so that was kind of your first foray into this thing the push parties are what you're doing right now so if anyone's in the bay area and they want to check this out um we will put links to everything on uh, the half hour intern website at the end but anyways tell us about uh, the push parties 
Yeah, push parties um, are something that my partner and I started just a few months ago. Um, we were sitting at home having a glass of wine after a long day and um, kind of going over the wonderful fact that we have so many talented people in our community and um, what kinds of other ways we can utilize our own skill set and like give oper- like job opportunities and performative opportunities to our colleagues and our friends. Um, like we are really lucky to have some of the best sex performers in our friend circles and, you know, at our dinner parties and within our community. So we thought of this really cool idea to have these adult parties. Um, you know, there, there are play parties where everyone um, is interacting and things like that. But a lot of people, even in the Bay Area, aren't necessarily looking to make that big jump where they're going to a sex party. But the idea of going to a party where you can be a voyeur and watch some of the best professional um, porn performers like right in front of you is exciting, but also a little bit, you know, it's, it's safer than going to a, a sex party where everyone's expected to participate. So we thought that this idea of like having a party made for voyeurs, but put on by exhibitionists could be really exciting. Um, so we kind of um, wanted this very sweet kind of romantic yet very perverted event which is kind of modeled off off of our relationship. We are, you know, very much in love and very romantic, but also we're dirty perverts. And yeah. so he kind of used that as the theme for the party. Um, so like one the as the foreplay is happening, it's like sweet and romantic. And then once the sex is happening, it gets real freaky deaky. Is that what we're talking about? Necessarily, I think those things, I mean, in our relationship, those things really like, um, intertwine all the time. There's not like this part's romantic and this part's <laughs> right, like, right. The, the dirtiest, darkest parts are often the sweetest. So I, I hope that, I think that we did a good job of kind of blending those two throughout the evening. Um, and my partner, his name's Jesse James. Um, we actually got to perform together, which was really nice. Um, and so, yeah, we, we just kind of picked out some of our favorite, performers and friends. Um, and we had like Nikki Darling did a wonderful solo performance. Um, Bella Rossi and Juliet March did a really like dirty, hot, amazing lesbian scene. Um, and then there was a really hot three way with Will Havoc and Sebastian Keys and Mona Wales. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, people, it was, it started off like any other cocktail party. Um, people arrived and we had a lovely bartender pouring people libations and we kind of let the excitement and the, and the energy build what there wasn't a stage. It wasn't like, okay, and now there's a performance. Um, people were just mingling, sipping their wine. And then um, every, you know, 20 minutes to a half an hour, there would be these pop-up performances where, you know, Nikki Darling made her way down the, the stairs and did her sexy thing. And then, you know, that happened. Everyone cheered and clapped. And then a couple minutes later, um, another performance would start. So it was really nice. And, and it was very small and very intimate. There was about 45 people there. Um, and then the performers and 
um, something we heard from the guests is that just this, everyone was just so nice. And it was really great to see the other performers watch the performances. Like, we, you know, we just thought that everyone did such a good job. And um, the people that were our guests said that they learned a lot about how to watch people have sex, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a silent and you just stand in the corner and don't have any reaction. Like something really exciting would be happening when, you know, Bella and Juliet were fucking and then we would all like cheer or like, like yell out of excitement. So I think that people kind of learned like how to act at a a sex party. Like like, you don't have to be quiet or shy or weird. It's really okay to um, cheer, celebrate, show appreciation Um, It's really cool. It sounds like a really interesting, nice experience for anyone that is open to, um, I guess, like expanding their horizons, but it doesn't really know where to start or how to feel comfortable with that. And so, first of all, like you said, you're teaching people um, and people will naturally get more comfortable as the night goes on with like this whole entire setting and this whole entire thing. And then they have a drink in their hand and then they can talk to other people like throughout the night. And, you know, it doesn't have to be strange or weird. And then in addition to showing them, you know, how how this could be like a more fun setting or whatever it is, a more social setting. Just the fact that you were talking about how the show goes kind of back and forth between the lines of like more romantic and then more um, dirty or whatever word you want to use on the other end. Is, is I think also like a really good thing for people that are watching that again, like maybe want to try to um, explore some of these avenues in their own sex life, like maybe with their partner or whatever it is, but they don't even really know where to start or they don't know what to do. And um, it's got to be a kind of nice for them to see you go back and forth between maybe some of the more romantic stuff where it's like, Oh, that like kind of reminds me of myself. And then you go into something a little bit more dirty where it's like, okay, that's not something that I've done before, but maybe I could do that, especially when they've already kind of connected to you, um, seeing some of the more romantic stuff. Yeah. I hope it was inspiring. I hope that it allows people to kind of feel comfortable with and access some of their fantasies or desires and realize that like, you know, having rough sex or participating in BDSM isn't a scary or dangerous experience, um, that it can be really sweet. So I hope that it does. I hope that everyone was there and went home and had really hot filthy perverted romantic sex that night that's awesome something that i love so much um about that like the concept and um it just makes me think of when i lived in san francisco and going to like the Folsom street fair and stuff which by the way i'm realizing as i'm saying this like what a perfect transition this will be (laughs) into some of the work that you do but going to the Folsom street fair is such a a wonderful and eye-opening thing and i think it's so this is why um being i guess like go like just purposely going out of your comfort zone sometimes is such an important thing in life um in every way you know and when you go to the Folsom Street Fair there are so many people there you know and there are so many people dressed up and there are so many people interacting um and so the Folsom Street Fair for people by the way that are not um from the bay area and they've never heard of it or anything is uh, actually, Maxime, why don't you explain what the Folsom Street Fair is? Because you know a lot more about it, and then I'll make my point. Yeah, um, so the Folsom Street Fair is an annual BDSM event, um, and it's really designed to celebrate alternative sexualities and community. 
And public sexuality is a huge part of what makes the Folsom Street Fair really exciting. Um, so it's, you know, I think 400,000 people attend every year. Okay. It's one yeah. of the largest fairs that in California. So this is, um, this is what I was going to say. And it's such this wonderful, um, I guess, learning experience going to something like that is you walk around and there's all these people, um, it, you know, it, it, uh, the vast majority of the people that are there are participating in some way. It's not like there's 350,000 out of the 400,000 are just like people walking around gawking and there's only 50,000 people like participating. It's like the majority of the people are dressed up in something and like whipping each other or this or that or like, you know, trying to partake mm-hmm. in some way. And it's a very good experience to see something like that because it reminds you that like these are all regular people. You know, it's like you'll see someone getting... uh Uh, you know god knows what like happening to them or like doing some sort of sexual act or dressed up this way and then if you go and you talk to that guy it's like oh yeah like i'm the general counsel lawyer for blah 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 huge company (laughs) and it's like oh shit that's right like normal people are into these things too you know it's not just like there's a i think it would surprise people if they knew how many people uh around them were perhaps into stuff like this or the this is what their sex lives are like, but it's just not something that they share with people, you know, because it's their private life. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I I feel like any sort of introduction to that or, uh, or reminder that we're all just kind of people is a very good thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, so let's talk about the, uh, the ask first campaign that you created. Did you create that specifically with the, uh, Folsom street fair in mind? Yeah, I did. Um, I started about three years ago and uh, it, I created it in response to I've, I've attended the Folsom street fair every year for the past 11 years that I've lived in the Bay. Um, And it's a festival that's growing. Like more people go every single year. Um, And four years ago I went and didn't have the best time. Um, as many other people do, I spent a lot of time like preparing my outfit and getting ready to go celebrate with my fellow like kinky people and my fellow queer friends. Um, you know, it's, it's like we kind of joke and say that it's kinky Christmas, that it's like such a big deal for people in our community when the Folsom Street Fair runs I around. I could only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I was all dressed up, really excited. I, my theme for my outfit that year was, um, was a kinky cigar selling girl. So I had, you know, like, you know, at different, like different parties, like they'll have someone selling cigars with that box around yeah. your neck. Yeah. yeah. Um, but instead of cigars, I was selling my used panties. So I had all of my dirty underwear ziplocked in little bags with a little note and a lipstick kiss and on the side of the box it said used panties for sale and then you know I had a cute little outfit on and high heels and the little pillbox cigar girl hat um and I was like so excited I you know got there I had 20 panties to sell and at first I was having a great time and I was you know interacting with people and talking to them about my underwear and you know selling it and making, making a couple dollars at the fair. Um, but then about an hour later it was getting more crowded and people were coming up behind me and grabbing me without permission. Uh, 
people were saying really vulgar, inappropriate things to me. Um, and I felt like every time I got near a crowd, I was being touched in ways that I was really not okay with. Um, to the point where I left early that year, I did not sell all my panties. I packed up and went home. Um, and I felt really uncomfortable. I, you know, I was being grabbed and spoken to and harassed in ways that are not okay to speak to anyone. And I wasn't alone. I heard very similar stories from dozens of my friends that were at the fair that year. And it wasn't just that year, like things like that have happened in the past as well. So, um, we, we, like we had agreed, our community had agreed that this is a problem. So I decided to try to do something about it and started a really simple campaign called ask first, um, and started raise, fundraising to get some money to print out stickers to pass out at the fair. And they're bright yellow stickers that just say ask first. And then it has a link to the website. Um, and the first year was very DIY. I just recruited a couple of my friends and we had, I think, 800 stickers that we divided up amongst ourselves and passed out to the crowd. Um, the next year, I contacted Folsom Street Fair and asked if I could have a booth to pass these out. And they were like, this is a great idea. They were generous enough to give me a booth. And so we passed out uh, 10,000 stickers that year and had about 15 volunteers in the booth during the day. And that was great. It was a really um, great to see that campaign become a little more visible because, you know, we had that spot to pass stickers out from and um, 10,000 is a really big jump from 800. <laughs> and then this past year, we did it even bigger. We had a double booth and we passed out 15,000 stickers. Um, we also made temporary tattoos that people could put on their body right then and there. And we had a photo booth where people could come get their photo consensually taken um, right there at the fair. But we had an amazing photographer, Ray Threat, this year. Um, so it's fun. It's a place that people can go. And, you know, if anything weird is happening to people, if they feel uncomfortable, they know they can come to the Ask First booth and it's a safe place. Um, they'll have some support and help. Uh, people were grabbing stickers by the handfuls and it's like, oh, we need these. Thank you so much for... Um, making consent a visible value at the fair. So um, I think it's something important that people often go to things like the Folsom Street Fair and think that it's a free-for-all or just because someone is dressed a certain, like, you know, just because I'm topless and selling my used underwear does not give anyone permission to touch me. That rhetoric is just as bad as when you say, oh, that girl is wearing a short skirt. What did she think was going to happen to her? There's no line or limit where it's okay to do something to someone's body without permission. It doesn't matter um, how sexual they are. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. None of that matters. So I hope that people can understand that consent is necessary in these very sexualized environments like the Folsom Street Fair. They, that will kind of leak over and ha help people understand that consent has to happen everywhere, no matter what. Um, so yeah, that's some kind of background and how the Ask First campaign has been growing over the past three years. That is so cool, Maxine. And it's like so wonderful that you did this. And it's um, it's just such a good, again, I feel like so much of this work that you're doing helps educate people so much. Um, there's the part of that where you're like actually protecting people and like really, really helping people. But just the overall education of um, 
for the people that maybe aren't that do have more of like a uh let's say like restrictive sex life but they have these fantasies in their head that they like want to live out so then they go to the street fair and they're like oh sweet like i can just grab whoever i want here and do whatever i want like that's what we're all doing and it's like no dude like just because someone is more like adventurous or open sexually does not mean that they want strangers to be grabbing them like like basically basically nobody wants that you know um and if you if you are a stranger and you ask and they say yes well cool then then that's great but you have to give somebody that opportunity um and yeah just the education that you're doing for people that don't really um that wouldn't really know that or understand that i'm sure is just like worth its weight in gold like for every for every one person um that didn't get grabbed because they were wearing a sticker i'm sure just like the amount of talking that was done and just like changing culture it has to uh just be like exponential the number of people that you've helped Yeah, thank you. I think it's something that we do need to talk more about as a culture, whether it's BDSM culture, sex worker culture, but as a whole, too, I think conversations about consent need to happen. So I hope this having this, you know, visual yellow sticker uh, kind of consent icon um, helps people start discussing like what consent means, like how can we improve on consent? Like what going on in our culture so yeah yeah absolutely and that any one thing doesn't mean something else like that like you were saying about like if you're walking around topless that that people will maybe get ideas in their head about like oh this means this about you or this means this about what you want it's like it doesn't mean anything except for the fact that i want to walk around topless right now like that's that is the only thing that you can glean from this situation you know like you should not extrapolate someone's actions or anything like that to to ever mean anything more than exactly what it means, you know? Exactly, uh, yeah. Very important. Crucial. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, the, like, your formal education and um, and kind of the other side of your life that ties into all of this. So um, you have your master's in public health. Um, you got that fairly recently. Like, talk about your desire to get your master's in public health and then kind of how you are using that in this world. Yeah, so being a sex worker for some very obvious reasons made me highly interested in my sexual health and sexual health in general. So I focused a lot of my studies on the health, safety, and human rights of sex workers while I was getting my master's degree. Um, my end cumulative um, experience project was about how to center sex worker voice in all research, um, interventions, and policy made about sex work. Often, uh, whether it's in academia or in science and research or in public policy, regulations and uh, decisions are made about sex work without actually talking to sex workers. And that needs to end like yesterday. So Like I was recently in Denver for the National Public Health Conference and was talking about Prop 60 and how any type of mandate in the porn industry really needs to include the voices and needs of the actual workers in the industry. Um, And I also taught a little class about, you know, if you are working in public health, um, how you can center sex workers. If you're working in public health, and you're doing anything about 
sex work, how important and imperative it is to center everything um, around the needs and health and safety of sex workers and not be presumptuous and be like, oh, I know what's best for this population. I know what sex workers need because people really don't. It's a really complicated and nuanced community or communities with lots of varying needs. And um, it's really important to make sure that sex workers are at the center of all of that knowledge construction and interventions that happen and policy that's made about sex work. So whether we're talking about uh, the condom mandate that was proposed in this last election cycle for the porn industry, or we're talking about using condoms as evidence against prostitutes, or if we're talking about what type of, um, it, whether sex work is decriminalized and how it's decriminalized, you really need to be including sex workers in all of those conversations. So that was, that's a lot of what I, um, was, you know, studying whether that was in the classroom and in academic journals or just, you know, using my own life experience and the life experience of my colleagues and the people that we work with, um, kind of mixing it all together to create some articles about how sex workers need to be centered at everything. That was a really long answer. Sorry. No, that was a good answer. <laughs> I, I just, I was just thinking as you were just saying all that, like, I'm just so fascinated and impressed by you. I, I can't imagine that there, uh, and you know, I don't mean to like stereotype here, hopefully it doesn't come off like that, but I can't imagine that there's more than like five people like you in the entire world. Like, oh no, there's so many, like I'm not alone in this or even like the most amazing. There are so many people that are working so hard and advocating for sex workers rights and have created amazing organizations and educational programs. Like there are tons of people all over the country doing some badass sex worker activism. That's so great. That's so, so, so great. I, yeah, I mean, it's just awesome. And I know that now uh, that you have your master's in public health and you have your focus um, in sex work and stuff like that, that mm -hmm. you do guest lectures at universities. What do you typically talk about when you're doing a guest lecture? Yeah, um, I actually have a guest lecture this coming Wednesday at the University of Arizona. Oh, that's my alma mater. Yes, yeah. U of A. That is great. Good for <laughs> Which you. Which is where I grew up. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. So awesome. this is kind of cool. Um, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, it, sex work is so complicated and so nuanced. It's really impossible to do a 45-minute lecture and get through everything that happens. Um, so I do kind of like a lighter overview, um, go over de definitions, talk about the sex workers rights movement, what different health and um, social justice issues that sex workers are currently facing. Um, I talk about ways that I, I predominantly speak to public health classes, but talk about different ways that public health um, can be an ally to sex workers and help the movement. Um, and then I do a little bit of Q and A and I see if anybody has any questions. So that's kind of what I, um, 
the kind of like more general, like this is what 101, like this is what sex work is. <laughs> Let yeah. me demystify some of these really probably horrible preconceptions you have about sex work. Let me also be really real about the um, violence and stigma that sex workers face. And here's how public health can help support sex workers and not make their lives worse. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, sometimes I'll have a really specific, uh, like if I'm talking to a women's health class, I might have a little more of a tailored um, lecture about women's health and how that um, relates to sex work. So things like that. Right. You mentioned the um, sex workers rights movement. Is that something that already took place or is that something that's currently going on? Um, it's currently going on. I mean, it's been going on since sex workers started organizing, like, you know, decades and decades ago. The Bay Area has a really rich history of sex worker activism and sex worker rights, but we are still fighting really hard for rights right now. I mean, a lot of our work is criminalized and there's a lot of work to do to just a keep people healthy and safe right now, but then to gain rate gain rights and be seen as valuable um, communities within our towns and cities and states and country. So there's definitely still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. It's so hard. I can only imagine it like the uphill battle that you're fighting because it's like a taboo topic for, or most people view it as a taboo topic to even really talk about. So then when you're asking for people to show their support, it's like, uh, no, like, all right, maybe I'll go vote that way, but I'm not going to be like outspokenly showing my support, you know? Um, it's, uh, I imagine for a long time, like marijuana and stuff was that way. And yet somehow that shifted though. And all of a sudden that has a lot of support. So, you know, you never know. Maxine, let's start to uh, slowly wind this thing down here. Uh, please tell us about your We're Still Working show, which is coming up here soon. Um, that anybody in the Bay Area will be able to go. God, I wish I lived out there still so I could go <laughs> to this. It sounds great. Please tell us all about it. Yeah, I'm really excited about the We're Still Working project. So um, I was recently awarded the Soma Arts Curatorial Residency to curate a art, a visual art exhibit and a series of community events. Um, and so I have been working with some really wonderful people um, to curate a visual art show about sex workers and it's called we're still working the art of sex work and the show is really created to honor the lives and stories of sex workers through this visual art show um all, all of the artists are sex workers themselves or they are visual artists that have connections to the sex worker community and are partnering with a sex worker to make a special piece for the show um yeah, and really our, the goal of this exhibit is to give sex workers another platform to share their own stories and their own perspectives um, themselves. Like, as we've kind of touched upon before, uh, sex worker stories are either co-opted or told by other people, and it's really important to give sex workers the opportunity to tell their own stories. And I think that placing sex workers at the center of our own narrative is one of the best ways to fight for sex worker justice. And so this show is a creative platform to 
fight for that type of justice. And what is the format of the show? Is it going to be a like live spoken word show or is it going to be like photographs and written pieces beneath them or? Yeah. So it's based in visual arts. It's a gallery show that'll be open. It opens on January 26th and closes on February 25th. So it's up for over a month. Um, so it's visual art. There are, there's photography, there's illustrations, there's comic book illustrations. There are video installation works. There's three dimensional, like multimedia sculpture. Um, there are some performative elements. There's a couple, uh, artists that will be performing on the opening night. So it's really some really amazing mixed media work. Um, that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that's so great. And it's yeah. so great to do it at a place like Soma Arts, like, you know, a completely mainstream place. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, Soma Arts has been fantastic. Like the getting, like m- most of the things that happen in the sex worker community are very DIY. We kind of have to do it all ourselves. Like whether I'm starting a new sex show or, you know, someone wants to do a workshop or we're doing an art show, like you put it all together yourself but to have this institutional support and platform from soma arts is huge so i'm really appreciative and have had a great time working with them they've been amazing yeah sounds great if anyone is in the bay area our opening reception is january 26th and we are going to have a lot of fun there's going to be some amazing performances and you'll get a chance to check out all that art firsthand cool and again i'll put links to all this stuff on the half hour intern site if anyone wants to uh, check it out and they're like driving right now and they can't write this down um Mm -hmm. So I have two final questions for you, Max. Well, actually, this is like a two-part question, so this is not the two questions. But how do you think choosing this path influenced other areas of your life? And like, if you look back, how different of a person do you feel like you are right now from the experiences that you've had because of choosing this path? Hmm. Um. Yeah, this path has definitely changed maybe not who I am as a person, but it's changed a lot of aspects of my life. Um, A lot of the changes have been really wonderful. I think being a sex worker has um, been a catalyst for a lot of my dreams coming true. I was able to, um, you know, go back to school and pay for that master's degree in cash in I was able to take time to put some energy into some really creative projects that are really important to me. And I don't know if I would have had the funds or the uh, capacity to do that if I had other type of, if I was doing other type of work. Um, The people that sex work have brought into my life, I will forever be in awe and grateful for. Um, everyone from my amazing partner to my other like hooker and porn friends. Like they're just really amazing, talented, lovely, caring humans that I feel honored to be a part of that community and have those people be close to me. Um, yeah. Then, then there, you know, being a sex worker has affected my life in other ways. Like I definitely feel, uh, there's still this like element of like living on in the thick, in the fringe of this very like alternative lifestyle, which is 
which is wonderful in a lot of ways, but can be like the stigma and the prejudice is hard. And seeing uh, close people to me whose families don't talk to them anymore because of the type of work that they do and hearing the about the and experiencing like how people treat sex workers the from you know just from saying shitty things from using the word whore and hoe like as a synonym for being something bad is hurtful to you know friends that I have that have been like stalked or you know hate mail that I've received um it's it's a hard thing to hold it's so insane one of jesus's best friends was a prostitute i mean if you believe the bible (laughs) and you're christian like one of jesus's best friends was a prostitute come on yeah yeah it's that's it's an interesting kind of value judgment that people place on sex workers like oh i know all this thing about you because of your job when every sex worker is different like some sex workers are not good people but it's not because they're a sex worker necessarily. So yeah, um, yeah, that that type of constant judging and um, you know hiding my job from some people, and you know I have the privilege to be out and am out in a lot of ways, which feels really good, but can also be scary sometimes. Um, it affects the way, you know, future job opportunities. There's certain things that I would not be considered for. Um, I probably wouldn't, you know, be able to teach kids like young kids and things like that, that, that type of, um, history probably wouldn't go over too well in that type of job setting or interview. So that's, you know, that's, it's a lot of things to hold. I'm really grateful for the things that's brought into my life, but I definitely also feel the, stigma and you know hide it even from certain parts of my job from dear friends or family members so it's yeah it's it's a complicated it's not all flowers and amazing like liberation and empowerment um but it's not all pain and sorrow it's like <laughs> a lot of a lot of complicated like feelings to hold and a lot of complicated identities to hold most definitely it's like a yeah. It's like a great power, great responsibility thing, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, All right, so let's go ahead and finish this thing up, Maxine. Give us some advice that you would give to people if they were interested in getting involved in sex work. If after listening to this, they're like, this sounds rad. That's what I want to do for a living. What, uh, what advice would you give people? We already gave the piece earlier in the episode about um, try to reach out to people in your area to kind of figure out the norms for the area that you're in. Other than that, what, uh, what would you recommend? Um, I would start really thinking about how sex work would benefit your life and then what areas of your life it would make it hard and see if those things feel worth it for you. Um, really kind of, and, and get into, and, you know, one of the most important things again is talking to people and talking to people in your area about what their work is like and, um, really being real about if you are ready to take on that type of identity and stigma, because it's probably something that will, um, attach itself to you for the rest of your life. Are you, um, really like down to, um, not just have the glamour, quote unquote, glamorous parts of this job, 
be exciting for you. Like, are you ready for all of the complex things that um, go along with being a sex worker? So I think that that would be a good place to start, like reaching out, getting some more information and really kind of trying on that identity and seeing if you're ready to um, take on everything that it encompasses. Yeah, great advice. And advice that would apply to so many things. I mean, yeah, just got to have a real honest talk with yourself about why you want something. That's great. Yeah. And I I would also um, kind of, even people that are like, oh, like, I don't necessarily want to be a sex worker, but um, I would, I think it's also important to talk about like, what are first steps if people want to be an ally to sex workers? That's really important as well. Like having allies in this fight for visibility and respect and health and justice is really important. So you don't have to become a sex worker in order to fight for sex workers' rights. So um, anyone who's listening, if you want some first steps in how to be an ally, I think um, some good places to start is with language, thinking about like the the words that we co-opt from sex worker communities like hooker, whore, ho, whether we're using that as a joke or um, trying to be funny or of a term of endearment or just a straight up insult, like really thinking about that language and, um, how that affects sex workers who are a community that experience a lot of violence. So like making those dead hooker jokes and calling someone you don't like a whore really just perpetuates this, um, negativity around our job, which makes our jobs less safe. Like when you're considered a disposable in non-human like is associated with the word whore or ho, like that actually does have a negative effect on people that are actually hookers. So like watching what you so, say. Yeah. It's so funny yeah. hearing you say all this. Cause I, I, I really battle this a lot. Like I, I'm a very, um, like I, I, I don't really appreciate a lot of like political correctness, but that being said, when you think about like the words that you're using with certain things, like it's, it's very, very insidious, like, ha- like using derogatory terms for something, um, the way that that will subconsciously shift your own view of it, like impossibly subconsciously be shifting. Therefore, like the collective zeitgeist of how we are viewing something. So it's very easy to say like, Oh, like you're just being too sensitive or, Oh, you just want me to be so politically correct by, by not saying this word or by whatever, you know, and uh, it is, yeah, whether or not you, you believe in or agree with like the, oh, you might hurt someone's feelings by saying that it's just very, yeah, like for lack of a better word, like insidious to say these negative things and allow that negativity and that, that viewpoint to like, um, just like, yeah, remain hovering over something. It's not good. Yeah. And like, well, yeah, like when I hear someone use the word whore in a negative way, as, as a way to like insult someone. Yeah. It hurts my feelings. It makes me feel less than, but what re- what's really important to me about that is that like, there are so many people that like just this past year, every year on December 17th, sex workers get together and celebrate and remember the people that have the sex workers that have died that year. And every year there are several hundred sex workers that have been killed and, most of them trans women. And the fact that the word whore was probably one of the last words that they heard while experiencing violence or being murdered um, 
goes way beyond someone's feelings being hurt. Like sex workers are still being, are still experiencing violence and still being killed in the United States and all over the world because of the work that they do. So I think especially for this, it goes way beyond like political, political correctness or hurting someone's feelings. Like, like it's, it's a safety and a, a lifeline issue. And if we can start with what kinds of words and that affects like how we see people and how we relate to people. And if we don't constantly remind ourselves and others that whores are bad and sex workers are disposable people, that does contribute to people being, um, people, you know, being safer and not being murdered. So hundred percent. Totally yeah. agreed. Well, uh, sex is awesome. Sex workers are awesome. And you're awesome. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Maxine. This was really op- uh, eye-opening and enlightening and also just really fun to talk about. So thank you so much for being so uh, candid and taking so much time with us. Yeah, you're welcome. I had a really nice time talking with you, Blake. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but uh, what are you going to do to help me? Well, how about being a guest on Half Hour Intern? That is right. You could totally be a guest on this show. So if you have been sitting there listening to this show and thinking to yourself, you know what? I do this totally awesome thing for a living. Or you know what? I have this awesome hobby that I'm really, really passionate about and I would love to tell people about it. Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.